You are listening to Keep Canada Weird, a weekly weird news roundup by The Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the weekly Keep Canada Weird discussion series. If you're new here, Keep Canada Weird is a venue in which my pal Aaron Airport and I seek out and explore the more offbeat Canadian news stories from the past week. But in tonight's episode, we have something very different to share with you. In prior episodes, we discussed a live Keep Canada Weird podcast recording that would take place in front of an audience in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. Well, let me just say, it happened, it was unforgettable, and quite dramatically so. In this episode, Aaron and I are going to share a recording of that event and finally break our silence about the dramatic and shocking way it all went wrong. Let's get into it. Handsome Aaron Airport. Hey. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, wow. Before we get into it, because we got a lot to talk about, and I think we owe everybody an explanation. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. Our live show, whatever, if we, if we want to call it a show, that was Saturday night. So we're now yeah. three days out. How have the last three days been? Uh, definitely not nearly as crazy as the live show was it's yeah. uh, when you go from something as dramatic as that to kind of regular life after that it's uh it's a big contrast so everything <laughs> feels very small to me now yeah so your um your dad's living in cape breton so he's probably aware of what's what happened did you have you heard from family at all yeah i got some voicemails from family some text messages uh lots of people checking in mm -hmm. so making sure everything's all right and yeah that we got we still got asking our heads what, on. The, what the heck is going on yeah so um i've kind of had the same experience i've heard from everybody in cape breton and their dog that i know asking like i heard something went wrong at a podcast you're a podcaster was that you you know, I got several mm -hmm. of those, like people who know, who know me and know I host a podcast, you know, read about a podcast live event going awry. Uh, is that Jordan's? Yeah. Yes, it was. So I think mm -hmm. we owe everybody an explanation. So we promote it and only modestly promote it a live yeah. recording at Capricon, which is like a pop culture cosplay kind of event in Cape Breton that they do every year. The first Keep Canada Weird live recording, uh, we promoted it. Not ex not like this is going to be a huge thing. Everybody come out, come down. We're going to like blow the roof off it. No, mm -hmm. we. It was again modest promotion. I didn't even know much about the venue. I I, I know that the event was at. I knew it was going to be at Center Two Hundred, which is like a hockey rink. But I also knew we would be in a small boardroom. You know, twenty to thirty people. Did that even cross your mind? Like, does the size of this venue, is this going to be a problem? I was not thinking at all. Like, I knew we were going to be in a small boardroom or event room kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I knew we'd be in one of those. And I was kind of expecting some of the kind of faithful listeners in the area would probably come out. Um, I was thinking we might have, you know, 20 people. I did not expect so many people to come out that this became a newsworthy event, that it became something that easily, I would say, 
the most, uh, the, the scariest, most intimidating experience I went through. I think to, to get people who weren't at the event and, and I, I feel bad for everybody who was, and I will get to that should there be an apology, but for people who aren't, who weren't there, uh, I think the best thing to do is probably play a no, a local news clip, which kind of summarizes, um, what happened. There's interviews with their short little pieces of, they talked to one of the cops. I think it may be the head of the Cape Breton police. I'm not sure. There's a few of the attendees who were interviewed in this. Um, I don't, I don't know if you even heard this clip. Did you like, I know you told me you were kind of tuning out from the news. Did you hear the radio clip that I'm talking about? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, yeah, I was kind of keeping, keeping my eyes off of it because I mean, I was there, so there's, I I don't really need (laughs) much more, much more detail than what I already received uh, in person. So, because normally we play a news clip, it's about something else that somebody did Mm. somewhere random in the country, somebody who did something weird and we play, a news clip to kind of set the scene for everyone before we talk about it. I had mm. never thought that we'd be setting up a clip that involved us in any way. Let's listen to it together. And uh, I hope this doesn't bother you, but here we go. Okay. This past Saturday night at a Cape Breton comic and pop culture convention, a live podcast turned into a living nightmare. It was like the Travis Scott concert, it was chaos, like a lot of people were throwing stuff, a lot of people got arrested, it's like crazy. I'm now standing in front of the modest conference room that, on Saturday evening, was to welcome a small group of listeners of the Keep Canada Weird podcast for a live recording. However, hours before the doors even opened, the lineup extended through the arena and into the parking lot of a neighboring coffee shop. We never went to bed, we came here, we got here at like 2. Yeah, we camped out in the parking Event organizers addressed the crowds, explaining that the event capacity was limited to 25 guests. The crowd, now in the hundreds, was unswayed, and chants of We Want In echoed throughout the building and spilled into the residential street that abuts the Centre 200 parking lot. Talk to me about the noise. The noise was was bad. Uh, to be honest, I mean, the, the noise was particularly excruciating for people who were right on the edge uh, of this. We're a few blocks away. We're uh, in what was commonly known as the red zone. A last-minute compromise by organizers saw the event change from being seated to standing room only, which allowed an additional 10 guests a move that seemed to only agitate the increasingly dangerous situation. With Keep Canada Weird fans outnumbering organizers by a factor nearly 10 to 1, the Cape Breton Regional Police were called in to handle crowd control. I would say today's event was an unprecedented event. Uh, This is very uh, unusual to occur in our city, um, and the police were there to stand by and try to maintain public order. As the start time for the event came and went, and with the conference room doors remaining tightly closed, Rumors began to swirl that the event would not proceed, and the situation began to take a much darker turn. Cape Breton Regional Police have stated six were arrested in relation to an attempt to force entry into a private section of a venue, and another five were arrested in connection to a physical altercation in the lineup that saw two taken to Cape Breton Regional Hospital by ambulance. Um, I think it was just a few people in this group. It wasn't the entire festival. It was just a few people in conflict with each other, 
And, and just to be clear, it wasn't a conflict with police. It was two groups in conflict with each other. A statement shared with our newsroom confirmed that there were talks to cancel the event for fear of the podcasters and the attendees' safety. However, the decision was made to go forward with the event at a delayed start time and with a heavy police presence on scene to maintain control. In the end, the crowds leaving the podcast recording seemed to feel the risk was worth the reward, with many proclaiming this to be the single greatest live podcast recording in the island's long history. However, for many living in the area, they are just happy that the crowds have dispersed and are left hoping the Keep Canada Weird podcast keeps Canada weird somewhere else. Is that like here in that air? Ah, uh, it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. like, um, it's uh, on one hand, you're kind of taken aback and in shock, and and uh, it's in a weird way. You're you're part part of you gets excited over the fact that a thousand people, so many up. people showed up and 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 wanted in, but then you know, then there's the other part of you that somehow blames yourself over the the issues that happened outside the venue mm -hmm. and people getting hurt and all of these things that I know deep down is not our fault. However, it's hard not to lump yourself in with, yeah. uh, with those others who may be responsible. I don't know. It's, it's it's tough to wrap your mind around and and kind of express, mm -hmm. uh, especially so soon after. It's still yeah, it's the thing. refresh, right? Yeah, it's we're just days out, and I I think I feel the same way. A part of me feels like we owe people an apology, but then at the same time, I think like you know, lots of people have live podcasts, and it's you know, not a big deal. It's just it, for whatever reason thousand two thousand people showed up i i don't know the number because like i said earlier at the beginning you and i were basically trapped in a room with the decision to be made like do we go on do we do a live show is it safe for us to do a live show in when i think it was officer henderson which was the, the cape breton police officer who was actually right with us on stage when we did the performance finally 45 minutes late uh when we knew he would be there with us uh, I thought we can do this. We can go on. Um, it was certainly uncomfortable. We're in a room made for 30 people. I think they must have jammed in the end, probably 80 people to hundred people were in there standing room only. I, I, I can't, I haven't listened to the audio of it since the event and we're about to play it, but, um, yeah, you were nervous and I can't wait to hear if that comes across in the audio yeah i don't get nervous very often you know i podcasting is never i mean you know i i've performed on stage a million times mm. before i started podcasting and, and never never get nervous i always enjoy being on stage mm. this was the first time where there were so many people in the room that i was that i was that i felt like there was hundreds i don't know certainly and i also felt like i had a gun to my back because it's like we want it you know it seemed like not going on stage not opening the doors is the right decision mm -hmm. but the alternative is shutting the thing down and it was already like at a boiling point if not at a slow boil i think I don't know. I, I will forever question the decisions we made in leading up to, during, and after Keep Canada Weird's um, live mm. event. Uh, but I think we've talked about it enough. And I think what we need to do is just play the audio 
so people can yeah. hear what would, what it was like in the room. I, I will say the actual audience that made it in the room, they enjoyed it. They were they followed along the discussion. We managed to talk about two separate Cape Breton related stories mainly. We talk about the Pizza Wars in Glace Bay, which was um, a period of time when the pizza shops within Glace Bay wanted to put each other in business. So they dropped their prices to the point that they were all losing money and it got quite heated. Um, we covered that in front of the audience and we covered a man in New Waterford who super powered a motorized beer cooler and drove it around town. <laughs> Till the Cape Breton Regional Police, the same ones who protected us, had a problem with it. Hmm. So I think without any further ado, let's just air the live recording. Yeah. You ready for me to hit play? Yeah. So we'll listen to the auto and then maybe we'll come back and yeah, it's, wrap up and have a little uh, chat about it afterwards, I guess. Yeah. This is about 30 minutes long. So let's uh, let's listen to it for the, for the first time. I hardly remember it. So let's mm -hmm. hear it. Handsome Aaron Airport. This is our first live show. We're in front of 300 people at Capricorn. Uh, I think at my last count, it was uh, between 450 and 500. Uh, let me just ask you though, how does it feel like to have the community turn up like this to support the work we're doing? <laughs> uh, it's overwhelming. Um, I was not expecting this turnout, uh, to be honest. I was kind of expecting maybe a handful of dedicated listeners would show up, but to see this amount of people in standing room only, mm -hmm. Uh, everyone squeezed in like a tuna can. Like it's, yeah. it's impressive. Yeah. I will just say it is uh, encouragement for what we do. And it's, I guess it's just uh, makes it clear to me that this work is important and this mm -hmm. work needs to be done. So let's not uh, twiddle our thumbs. Let's get into it. We have a mission to do here in front of this audience. We will keep Canada weird by seeking out, highlighting, exposing, and celebrating the stories that keep Canada weird. But since we're recording this live at Capricon in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, let's keep Cape Breton with it tonight. Let's be very spe regionally specific tonight. For people who don't know where Cape Breton is or what Cape Breton is, how would you describe this place? Cape Breton is an island, uh, arguably attached to Nova Scotia. And it is probably the weirdest part of Canada, I could say. You could definitely argue that. And I would argue that i think tonight we will argue that and i think we'll make a good case for it both you and i born and raised in cape breton our blood bleeds cape breton tartan our blood bleeds <laughs> cape breton tartan green not only does our flesh bleed but our blood our bleeds. Blood bleeds. <laughs> our bodies bleed cape breton green tartans like kind of a lighthouse no a tartan a <laughs> you've got a lot of imagery going on here and the audience <laughs> is getting very overwhelmed by okay. by what you're saying <laughs> Well, whatever it is, point is we're both from here. I think we need to make a case to our listeners and to the audience here why Cape Breton is weird and maybe what makes it uniquely weird. And I think the way we will do that is with the stories we're going to tell tonight. I pick some, you pick some, but let's start. Maybe we should start with what, what you have on your plate. 
Oh, well, I'm glad that you mentioned the word plate because this is a food-related weird Cape Breton story. So we're going to start with the Glace Bay Pizza Wars. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I consider myself hip to most weird Cape Breton stories. This one in particular is new to me. I missed this. When, Cape, when Glace Bay, which is a small community in Cape Breton, moderate-sized community in Cape Breton, had its pizza wars. Somehow that went completely over my head. Before we hear the news story and hear what this is all about, what makes this special? What makes this weird? What makes this weird is it was like its own little mafia storyline that was going on in Glace Bay, completely secluded and isolated to Glace Bay. So when you watch TV shows like The Sopranos or Breaking Bad, you know, these kind of epic kind of uh, crime-related shows, not that this was a crime, but it just had that uh, aura about it, you know, where there was all these warring pizza shops undercutting each other to the point where they were losing money on selling slices of pizza, trying to run each other out of town, run each other out of business, uh, by any means necessary, blood and pizza sauce will be spilled on the streets of Glace Bay. Let's hear how the news covered it, and then we'll talk about it. The pepperoni is flying in Glace Bay. The competition is cheesed off, and, well, discount pizza lovers, they're pocketing the dough. Yep, the uh, gloves, in fact, are coming off, and an all-out pizza war has been declared in the town. There are a dozen combatants involved in this delicious fight. ATV's Randy McDonald tonight from the trenches where battle-weary pizzerias are dug in. Who's winning? I don't think anybody's winning. I think everybody's taking a lot. There's no winners. Or they are losers, the way it continues. I eat pizza almost every day now for dinner. <laughs> You know, two people in on this here pizza, it's $3.25, can't beat that. It is a pizza parlor called Arnie's, which is trying to kill off the competition in town with one simple strategy, low prices. Imagine a large combination pizza, $5.99 plus taxes. But just try to talk to Arnie's owner about his business strategy. Arnie, tell us about the prices of your pizza. Doesn't want to talk to us. How can you make any money in selling a big pizza combo for $5.99? Oh, I don't know. There's money into it, I guess. Selling a lot of pizza? Yep, real lot. Is that right? Yep. How many most pizza you sold one day? Oh, 130, 150. Of course, there's more to pizza than just price. Quality is very important. That issue itself is sparking a war of words in Glace Bay's pizza business. Best pizza in town is made at Venice. The price can't beat it. I think we make the best pizza in town. Is that right? Yeah. And the best pizza. In the midst of Clay Bay's ongoing pizza war, Randy McDonald, ATV News. That is a uniquely Cape Breton story. I couldn't imagine that playing out anywhere other than this kind of weird place. Do you remember like actually buying pizza in this era? Yeah, yeah. I was in high school when... You know, junior high, high school, when the pizza wars were at its at its pizza deliciousness, whatever that means, and 
Yeah, the, the slices were cheap. Like, I had no money, but I could still eat pizza every day. Yeah. Just like the guy in the news broadcast. <laughs> well, did they say a large pizza was like six bucks or something? Yeah, it was $5.99 crazy. For, for a large pizza. Like, And even at the time, like, you know, this was 94, 95, 96. Like, that's dirt cheap at the time. Yeah, even in considering inflation, it yeah. was still dirt cheap. But these pizza shops... It seems to me like there was a battle between them, probably putting each other, trying to put each other out of business, but at a cost of all taking a loss on every pizza mm-hmm. they sold. So what that that article that we just listened to, or that news clip that we listened to, it it's filmed and shot in the center, in the middle of the pizza war. Do you know what happened? <laughs> like, did they all go out of business? Uh, some of them did eventually. I think the the strategy was just outlast the other. Yeah. So we'll all take a loss for the next. God, however long it takes. Mm-hmm. And then whoever survives, whoever makes it to the finish line is the winner. The others are out of business. And well, then it's like an investment almost because then mm-hmm. you're the last one standing. You can raise the price and actually make money selling pizza. Yeah, then it's a pizza monopoly. <laughs> uh, quite literally a war of attrition. Uh, but weird for it to be like what makes this story weird, I think. You know, th- stuff like this happens a lot with the, these weird economic battles for Mm-hmm. you know, supremacy and a certain product in an area. But the fact that it got so big that the news even caught on and showed up there. For people listening who didn't see the news clip, at one spot, at one point in it, the news reporter goes to interview, like, the owner of a business. Ernie. Ernie. Yeah. And he slams <laughs> the door in the interview in the guy's face. It's almost like there was, you know, when you hear, the, like, a, a politician got caught having an affair and they try to, like, interview yeah, him and he yeah. storms off. It almost looked like a situation like that. Well, to them... Like to us from the outside in, it's comical. Like yeah. it's it's a farcical situation, boring pizza shops. But to them, it was it was dead serious. It was life or death, and that's what makes it so interesting. Is that you know, Ernie was so upset that he wouldn't even talk to the media about it, and to him, like this was his livelihood. This was a business that he built with his bare hands. His competition was trying to take him down and undercut him and run him out of business and not being able to provide for his family. But then if you're from Sydney or any other town in the surrounding areas and you're looking at Glace Bay at the time, it's hilarious because it's they're pizza shops and they're trying to kill each other with pizza. Well, it's do you go to Glace Bay more often than I do, I assume. Are any of these shops still in business? Um, Not under the same names like you know, Venice was was a big player in that story. Uh, Ironies as well, but it's um, they're not they're still selling pizza, but not under those names. Like they've been okay. they've been sold over a few different times. Well, um, but it's still a pizza town. There's still lots of pizza shops. Uh, it has probably the best pizza I think in on the island and right. probably in Nova Scotia. Everybody says that about the pizza that's sold where they're from something uniquely special i'm like that with kenny's and napoli pizza but yeah but kenny's is not i don't know i don't like i don't want to have a big pizza war i think we well we should have our own little pizza war here but a taste off Um, but glace bay yeah because everybody's cape breton does have a reputation for having some of the best pizza in the country i think we can agree with that you and i yeah i would agree with that and i would say that pound for pound that glace bay is has the most consistently good pizza shops okay so maybe one of them may not be the best, but every pizza shop in Glace Bay is at least really, really good. At least really good. Yeah. That's yeah. a good baseline. Yeah. Uh, the Pizza Wars, fascinating Cape Breton story, truly a weird story, 
truly uniquely Cape Breton. But I want to tell you a story about something that happened in New Waterford. New Waterford, for people who aren't from the area, it's another small community in Cape Breton Island that is known for being home to many oddballs and weirdos and great people and nothing against New Waterford. Mm -hmm. But uh, this particular story is one that uh, it stands out in my memory as like when people say like, or when, when I hear people say Cape Breton's such a wild place, it's a story like this that's like, that's what they're talking about. This is the story of Neil Rido. I'm going to read you an article. This is, uh, people know him as the cooler guy. So here's kind of how it starts. There's a, a, an article from July of 2009. Neil Rideout is fighting a traffic ticket issued in July of 2009 for driving his motorized cooler on a sidewalk. Now they're quoting him. I was only trying to do the right thing by reducing greenhouse gases, he said. I feel police should be going after criminals, not coolers. Rideout bought the cooler at a sportsman's show in Pennsylvania. He said his interest came from a report by the Cape Breton Regional Municipality Mayor John Morgan on the importance of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Now they're quoting him again. The cooler emits less than 5% of CO2 pollutants compared to what my Impala does. He thought, it'd be a great, a great, he thought it would be great for quick trips to Tim Hortons or Sobeys. The cooler has four cup holders, a radio, and an input for an MP3 player. However, it, however, it only has one horsepower. They're quoting him again. It only goes one kilometer at a time. I could walk faster than the cooler, says Rideout. So he decided to fix it. He took it to Fox Fabrication, where a turbocharged 5.5 horsepower motor was added, enabling the cooler to travel over 50 kilometers an hour. Rideout said he was stopped by police twice, once to tell him he had to wear a helmet, the second time telling him he had to stay on the sidewalk. Four days, early, four days later, while driving to the store, he was, he was pulled over again, this time issued a ticket for driving on a sidewalk and fined $222. I, I was asked if they could search my vehicle, and I said, by all means, and I opened the cooler, Rideout says, adding that he's not upset with the police. They're only doing their job. I'm upset with the discrimination part of it, he said. <laughs> uh, truly a timeless thing to be upset about. If you're going to find me, find everybody else driving motorized vehicles, whether motorized bicycles, wheelchairs, kids' toys, scooters, whatever, adds Rideout. Rideout had a trial date of June 30th, but said due to a clerical error, a new trial date has been set during a court appearance on July 19th. I'm prepared to go to the Supreme Court of Canada with this, he adds. So at this point, Aaron, when, when we hear driving a cooler, I don't mm. know if you've seen a picture of this thing. It is quite literally a beer cooler with a little set of handlebars, four big wheels that look like they would be from, I don't know, like a lawn wagon kind of thing. And the engine that's tacked onto the back of it looks like it's from a snowblower maybe. This kind of looks like if a snowblower, an e-scooter, and a cooler had a baby. Yeah, it looks like something that if MacGyver was stuck in somebody's garage and he needed to make some kind of a, a vehicle to get out of the situation, that's the kind of vehicle he would build. What I don't get about it, these things were originally sold to go one kilometer an hour or whatever. What would even be the point of it other than for a nut to drive around town? Why well, would you need this? Someone with mobility issues could have a good time driving that, I think, that that. He, he can walk faster than, than this can go, so obviously it's not for logistical reasons. I think maybe the, the fact that somebody 
he probably has a hard time getting to the store, this man. Yeah, I just don't know. I haven't it. seen a picture of him. I can't speak to his his physicalities, but I don't know. Yeah, I just, I think the idea of like a, a, using a cooler for any type of transportation without there being a seat or something at it, I just don't get why this thing was even invented, let alone what makes this guy supercharge it to go 50 kilometers an hour, which is damn fast for I a plastic think cooler. all of history's geniuses are misunderstood. Mm. And this is one of those circumstances where someone who is ahead of their time has invented something. And this is a crude prototype, I agree. Yeah. But he's just beginning the journey of in in a hundred years when everyone is riding around on these things and people will look back on Mr. Rideout and say, and, and talk about him in such a favorable light of brilliance. Mm. And you'll be on the wrong side on of this history. Issue. Yeah. yeah. And in this show will forever be labeled fake news or maybe biased. Uh, mm-hmm. let, let me tell you how the courts handled this though. I got a follow up article from a couple years after his ticket. A Cape Breton man has been ordered to park his motorized drink cooler. Neil Rideout, 43, of New Waterford, was found guilty this was found guilty this week of operating a motorized vehicle on a sidewalk. Rideout, and this is interesting because this is a change in story. Rideout argued he needed the motorized cooler after undergoing heart surgery. He told the hearing his unusual means of transport is no different than a motorized wheelchair, which is a claim that was rejected by the adjudicator Robert Crosby. I reject his argument that since motorized wheelchair is not defined in the Motor Vehicle Act, the cooler he was driving could be considered as such. It's not every day you run into a man driving a cooler on the sidewalk, sir, he told he told Rideout in the hearing. So ultimately found guilty. But if you remember in the first article, it was CO2 emissions. When he gets into the courtroom, it then seems to be like heart um, mobility kind of health mm-hmm. stuff. What do you think with his change in story? I think it was probably um, recommended to him by his legal counsel that he switch from emissions-based arguments to uh, lack of mobility-based arguments. His ticket was $222. Are you suggesting that rather than pay the ticket, he actually got a lawyer and then fought this? Because I dare say a lawyer is going to charge more. Yeah, he might have just gotten maybe an hour's worth of counseling or something from a lawyer. Like, I'm going into court to fight this ticket. What kind of advice can you give me? And, or maybe he knows a lawyer. Yeah. Or maybe he knows someone who's watched Law & Order. This or, is 2011. He could have asked someone on Facebook. He could have just Googled it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the type of person who um, supercharges a cooler and fights a ticket is probably the kind of person that self-represents himself in trial as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, but that's, again, if, if he's an outside-of-the-box inventor, thinker, uh, of course he's going to go to court and represent himself because... And he probably it came to him in a dream, maybe somewhere in between the emissions argument and his lack of mobility argument. He probably woke up uh, from in, covered in night sweats. <laughs> With the answer, of course, I'm not going to argue emissions. I'm going to argue the fact that I just had heart surgery and I need to drink beer on my way to the store. <laughs> I wonder as well as if he could have been kind of um, putting the, duck, the, the ducks in a row in a way that he would have a good countersuit because he gets the ticket. 
for driving the cooler that he was driving for CO2 mm. gas emissions. From the time he gets the ticket to before he actually gets in front of a courtroom, he has a heart problem. Could this not put on the official record, I had heart surgery, thus giving him grounds to file a counterclaim that the stress associated with this conviction led him to have a heart problem, thus reducing his life? Mm -hmm. I could see a lawsuit there. Yeah, it's possible. I, I wonder, like, what's their ultimate issue with his vehicle? Like, is it because it has a cooler on it? Is it because he's riding it on the sidewalk? Because he is right. If that's the issue, he's riding it on the sidewalk, and they consider that to be a risk to public health, okay? So, but he's right. There are children who have motorized toys that mm -hmm. they, you know, cars and vehicles, small little things that they drive on the sidewalks, their bikes, their a, a long list of, of items you could think of that non-licensed people are riding on the sidewalk that have just as much of impact as that this would have. Here's the thing. Uh, they don't go 50 kilometers an hour. Once you're over a certain like horsepower, speed, capability or whatever, you're no longer like mm. an e-scooter e kind of thing and you're a motor vehicle. And if he can go 50 kilometers an hour, that's like the type of engine and power that like a small motorcycle would have or something. So I think they'd have a good case of applying the Motor Vehicle Act to him um, right. It, so it could be it, it, something that fast shouldn't be on a sidewalk. But then again, something like what he's driving probably legally can't be on a road. No, it can't. So he can only sit in his driveway. I think he just pushed the limit too far. If he, what he should have done, he, yeah, he, he should have said, "I'll reduce the speed." Yeah, I'll put it to, you know, I don't know what speed you walk. Do you walk like two kilometers an hour or something? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe three. Yeah. He should have put it at like ten kilometers an hour. Mm -hmm. and worn a helmet, and I think he'd have been good. Yeah, he should have promised, officer, I'll, I'll take my insane invention and reduce the speed to 25% and move on with our lives. Um, well, the story of Neil Rideout in the coffee cooler is not the only amazing story set in New Waterford. It's the only amazing one we're able to tell publicly and the only amazing one we have time to tell. Right. I've told other New Waterford stories on the show before. And, yeah. And, and we talked about Malky Woodland. That's right. Famously He's from, New, from Waterford, New Waterford. Yeah, that's right. And I think still in New Waterford. Probably. Who um, knows? So shout out to Neil Rideout. Shout out to Malky Woodland. And shout out to everybody who drives vehicles that push the limits of what's legally acceptable. And New Waterford has some good pizza, too. I want to move on to a story set in Cape Breton, but even more specifically, set right here in the building that we're sitting in. Yeah. I, I even wrote a little something to introduce this. So we're recording today inside Center 200, an arena that has been home to many great battles. 30 years ago, the Cape Breton Oilers defeated the Rochester Americans to earn the Calder Cup in this building. There's been many boxing matches, speed skating events, wars of skill and attrition took place here. In fact, I even once saw WWF wrestler Big Van Vader assault a young child at the player's entrance. I remember you telling me that That's story. That's true. I saw yeah. that. But of all the battles fought in this arena's history, the biggest one is probably not what you would have expected. In 2011, management of this facility declared war against its greatest threat, outside food and drink. Listen to this. 
Tim Hortons and hockey. It's a combination you could say is as Canadian as it gets, but it's one that's not mixing well at Sydney's main arena. How do I feel? Well, guess what? Guess what? I wouldn't be going. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just going to leave my house earlier to have it before I go. <laughs> Recently, Center 200 implemented a policy not allowing any food or beverage inside the building during a ticketed event. Fans of the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles were the first to be tested when the team held their home opener, a decision that worried the organization. Initially, we were because we uh, we weren't sure if our fans were aware of it, so we immediately went to Facebook and uh, I think we had nearly 400 shares on a post that was just a, a photo of the sign. Management at Center 200 say a consultant recommended the change to comply with similar venues in Atlantic Canada, a way to boost revenue for the building. Every rink has go to the Bell Centre, go to ACC, you know, what's it, Scotiabank in Toronto, Halifax. You can't bring outside food into the building and people say, well, I don't go to Halifax, so that's fine. But it's a policy that's not new to anybody. It's new to Sydney and new to Cape Breton. This Tim Hortons is a popular spot before, during, and after the game. The manager here says there are lineups out the door on game night. But it's still unclear to say how the change will affect business here and at the rink. Many voicing their frustrations on social media after they were told to leave their coffee outside when arriving at the game Friday. Others were simply caught off guard with the new policy and some understanding it's a business move. Center 200 says it's open to putting a Tim Hortons in the rink if they come forward. Tim Hortons came to us with a, a proposal that they're willing to take a look at. I'm sure I, would, I know I would look at it. As of now, they haven't and with the fact that they have a building uh, 25 feet or 30 feet from the front of ours. I don't think that would happen, but I'm willing to listen to any proposal. McDonald says for years they've been losing money at the concession stands and says they had no other choice but to make the decision and end up creating a tempest in a Tim's Cup. Now, manager Paul McDonald says at most other arenas, once you are in the building, you are not allowed out. That's not the case here at Center 200, which McDonald says will still allow people to purchase food and beverages as they please, Bruce. Aaron, you and I are both currently drinking outside beverages. Yeah, yeah, we brought in water. I snuck in one. Uh, I, well, I wasn't sure. I walked really confidently with mine. In your hand? I had and I wanted them to stop me because then we would have a really nice story to tell yeah. on this episode tonight. But unfortunately, they did not stop us and confiscate our outside drink there's one thing that was said in that news clip by the owner i think his name was peter mcdonald where i think shows um what's actually going on listen to this i'm going to try to get to this point right quick here it comes but it's a policy that's not new to anybody it's new to sydney and new to cape breton this Tim Hortons. it's not new to anybody it's new to sydney and cape breton mm -hmm. is he kind of admitting like yeah this is new and they have a reason to be upset I just don't know if he's trying. His his argument is kind of like this. Everyone does this. It's not new anywhere. Everyone knows about this. It's new here. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's what he's saying. It's the thing is his issue, and I guess my overall issue with this, and I have a big issue as you and I both have big issues with Tim Hortons. So we are not trying to defend or justify Tim Hortons in this statement I'm about to make, but. Mm -hmm. Uh, the coffee that's served at concessions in Center 200 is or, awful coffee. Any place like this. If you go to any arena yeah. or hockey rink in, or baseball 
place or whatever and order a coffee. It's just utter crap. And you go to a lot of concessions in arenas, right? You know, you go to any of these and it's typically garbage food. And lined up like crazy. And super expensive. Yeah. And so maybe make a better mousetrap here. Maybe say, okay, let's not add in a rule that says you can't bring in anything that's way better than what we sell here and enjoy it. So maybe let's not say that and let's make good coffee here. Mm. Let's maybe have some good food here. Mm-hmm. And then over time, people will want, oh, I can't wait to go to the game. and get one of those uh, lattes that they sell there. Yeah. I'm going to, oh, that pizza is so good. I can't mm. wait to have it. Like that does actually work. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if they considered like maybe we can beat them by having fair prices and better coffee. Yeah, like Cape Retners are... I think even more programmed than the rest of the country to bring a Tim Hortons coffee with them everywhere they go. But I'm telling you, if you word of mouth will spread very quickly in a cold arena Mm -hmm. when you have the best coffee that in a 50 foot radius. Yeah, it's true. I think they had an opportunity to do something special. Instead, they reacted like children. Yeah. And, you know, one of our problems with Tim Hortons is the way Tim Hortons has influenced society or culture in Canada to make us feel like we love them and their coffee is a part of our identity. So we're being kind of forced Tim Hortons coffee. Because of that, we push back and we're like, no, we want them. We want to put them out of business ourselves or whatever. I think by the owner of this building being like, no one in here can bring Tim Hortons coffee. I think if anything, that's going to make people want to go over there and get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's going to make them want it. It should be like, you guys get, if people in here want to go to Tim, they should announce this over the PA thing. If people want to go get Tim Hortons and bring it in, whatever, it would be ridiculous because the coffee we have is way better. It's far superior. But even like, can you imagine like if a handful of people buy that coffee and are sitting down next to other people and they smell it and they watch that person react to it and enjoy it like that's quickly going to catch on and give it free to the players for the, the arena or whatever yeah so yeah see all the hockey players coffee. skating you around have with one it. game where it's free coffee yeah that's all it takes oh anyway. we solved it here we yeah figured it out. the problem though is that this all happened like five years ago yeah, but, you know... Um, and when they were coming up with this, they didn't think to consult with podcasters. A podcast that's going to be invented a few years later. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, just crossed wires right now, but we'll figure it out. Well, I think we had a couple stories here that really shine a spotlight on the unique flavor of weirdness that exists in Cape Breton. We've only scratched the surface. We could go on forever. Um, and I think everyone in this room probably has a story if we pass the mic around mm-hmm. like we don't have time of course because the podcast no it'll take forever by the time the mic gets back to us yeah yeah but everybody in this room could say something unique and unusual about cape breton this could be its own separate podcast its own separate genre of podcasts absolutely uh, we're not going to do it uh, well let's wrap this up i feel bad for the people in back who've been standing this whole time i'm sure their legs are a sore. few people have collapsed actually and anyone in the back when ehs the ambulance crew uh, the paramedics are trying to get through clear room make room so they can mm-hmm. get through and with their equipment let's wrap this up aaron this has been a block are we going to do more live shows aaron now let me ask the audience do you think we should do more live shows 
You heard it here. You heard it here. If your city wants to bring the Keep Canada Weird staff out there, if they want Keep Canada Weird Nation to take over the city like Taylor Swift is going to do in Toronto, mm -hmm. we can do a whole week. Um, and if you want to invite us, I guess send us a voicemail and let us know. Yeah, that's all it takes. <laughs> We're not hard to find. Honestly, my first reaction, I'm actually surprised it went as well as it did. I, I could hear the, the kind of the tense, the tension in our voices and in our delivery. But if you're just listening to that audio, it's uh, that went well. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, it 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 happened anyway. That's that's the main thing. It, uh, we got an episode in the can. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the end, I find it the one spot I could really hear what was happening in the room was at the end of the episode we like we rushed off the stage and you can kind of hear us like wrap up the show really quick the whole thing about ehs coming in like the ambulance when they showed up for whatever happened in the back like it sounds like a bit but no it's it's like they were having trouble even getting in the room to tend to whatever was happening at the back but at that point i i couldn't see it i was just like we got to get out of here and get somewhere safe uh, quite simple quite plainly i just wanted to get the hell back to halifax yeah there was a hurricane in halifax hurricane lee but that was nothing compared to what was happening in and around our live performance yeah hurricane weird um so what's the verdict are we ever going to do a live show again i think we should really plan it uh oh. in a way to expect the chaos that uh, could potentially happen again so yeah, yeah yeah that's the thing and it's um like the number one priority with whatever we do next is personal safety safety of people who want to attend members of keep canada weird nation we can't put them at risk so any live performance that we do going forward is going to have to be something well thought out well, likely we won't be involved with it ourselves. We'll partner with some kind of production company that can handle, uh, you know, the liability insurance, um, security staff, um, liaison, liaising with police, local law enforcement, because that was something I never would have expected, you know, police to be involved in this. And I would never would have thought any need to even let them know, you know, we're podcasters. We're going to do a live event. You guys should, you know, send the riot police there uh i don't know what the police but i mean yeah maybe we'll contact the local police of every or the military maybe we need to get the military involved yeah could you imagine if there had been a helicopter that would have been a great way to get out of there rather than the tunnels that we had to use yeah one of those kind of rope ladders that come down and you and i jump on the rope ladder and we get with our microphones you know sweeped off to the next city <laughs> uh yeah yeah i guess it's probably come to that mm -hmm. we said at the beginning both of us like there's a little bit of a guilt maybe a bit of remorse maybe it's just not sure if there was anything we could have done differently I think I would really like to hear from listeners, especially if anyone was like the people listening who were in attendance, I would love to hear from some of them if they want to reflect on their experiences outside. So if you have any memories of what happened or want to share a personal experience um, from the live event, from 
people are calling it, um, you know, the whole like Woodstock 99 being a train wreck. A lot of people are kind of mm-hmm. comparing it to that. So like if anyone was at like Keep Canada Weirdstock 99 and want to share their memories, I'd love that. I would love to hear from listeners who want to maybe give their opinion on what we did wrong, if anything. Uh, so reach out. Yeah. Well, you know, there was Beatlemania. Now there's weird mania. That's what we're living yeah. in now. Uh, if you go to nighttimepodcast.com slash contact, that's the way you can reach us. Yeah. Anything yeah. else you want to say before we put a bow on this one? Handsome Aaron Airport. Uh, most importantly, I'm glad you and I are safe. Oh, yeah. Certainly. Most that importantly. That was my priority. Mm-hmm. Selfishly, you know, I just wanted to get the heck out of there and get home to my get home to my cast when push comes to shove uh i guess we both run hey i i still think uh forrest gump had it right <laughs> um well it's never a dull day in keep canada weird nation handsome Aaron airport until next time jordan until next time um uh i'm speechless about what happened on saturday i thank everyone for their interest but good lord i wish you had of all just left when the announcements came over to clear the premises and jordan until next time uh just keep on swinging i want to thank you for helping aaron and i fulfill our mission to keep canada weird but let us call out to you now for even greater support if you were at the ill-fated event in cape breton we want to hear about your experiences and even if you weren't there We hope you can imagine what it would have been like and share those experiences with us. You can go right now to nighttimepodcast.com slash contact and share your epic story of survival of the Keep Canada Weird live event with us. Now, to wrap up this episode, I'm going to give thanks. First, a big thanks to Aaron for sharing another evening with me and with you, the members of Keep Canada Weird Nation. Next, a big shout out to the internet's favorite cult leader, Unicol, who provides the series intro and outro voiceovers. And lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you to each and every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. Now on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Serene, Mindy, and Robin, thank you for your generous support and for going premium. If anyone else wants to support the show, you can help out in a variety of ways, but the easiest is simply subscribing and listening on the premium feed. A premium feed subscription costs only a couple dollars a month and it funds the creation of the show, but it also gives you the episodes two days early, gives them to you ad-free, and gives you access to a full back catalog of episodes. You can go premium at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And if you don't want to go premium, you can still support the show by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting all your like-minded friends know what we're doing here. We appreciate your support in growing this weird community. Now, until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let us know if you see anything weird. Keep Canada Weird is written, hosted, and produced by the Nighttime Podcast. 